God's good, isn't he? Yes. All three of you think he's good. <laughs> Amen. He, he really is good. I can assure you that. Amen. Hey, so uh, we're going to continue this morning our proximity series. Move this. Proximity. And we've been talking about just essentially living near to the Lord. I couldn't. So the most fruitful place that we could live is in the presence of the Lord. That's what we've been talking about. And, and, and my prayer has been that, that we just really come to this conclusion that, and realize that no matter what happens, that we're not going to deviate from trying to live in the presence of the Lord all the time. And, and my biggest fear as a pastor, and, and really just as a believer in general, is, is that we come into this place, we worship, we're encouraged, we're taught, we're equipped, and then when we walk out the door, it's like, bye Jesus, we'll see you next week. And, and, and that's, not the way, that's not the way that it works, okay? It's, it's not the way that it works. It's that, yes, he's here because he's promised to be here, and we're two or more gathered, he's here, we understand that. But he's also said that he'll never leave or forsake me, which means that he is everywhere I go, he goes, and everywhere he goes, I go, which means that we're always in the presence of the Lord. And if we come into that awareness, that it actually changes the way we live. And so the anchor verse for this series has been based out of Psalm chapter 1, and it says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. And right here, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates, he thinks over and over and over again, about a day and night, he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in its season, and his leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. And so, again, we've talked about this verse, and it says he'll be like a tree that's been transplanted, or that's been planted, which means transplanted, that, that we as believers in Christ, we make the conscious decision to follow Christ. And, and this planting, it's an intentional planting. It means it has been uprooted from one place and transplanted and planted somewhere else. And so as we follow Jesus, that's essentially what we've done. It's, I was in darkness, but now I'm in light. I was lost, but now I am found. I was blind, but now I see. It's, it's saying, I was living here, but now I'm going to live here. It's an intentional planting. And, and the next part of it, it says, which yields fruit in its season, and his leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. How many of you would like whatever you do in life to prosper? And I'm not talking about just financially. I'm talking about emotionally, spiritually, in your family life, in your life with your friends, with your kids. You want these things to prosper. And this says that if we would get planted next to the stream of God, that we would actually continue to bear fruit. And actually, that's what that means, which yields fruit in the season. It means perpetually to bear fruit. And so the most fruitful place that we could live is actually saying, I'm going to live next to the presence of God all the days of my life. And, and it doesn't matter what happens, I'm going to stay right here. I'm not going to deviate from it. I'm going to stay right here because it's the most fruitful position that I can possibly live my life. And we've talked before about shaking the tree and fruit falling and then living next to the waters and the fruit flowing. I would much rather it continue to happen, continue to happen, continue to happen because we're living in the presence of the Lord. So that, that's where we've been living at. That's what we've been talking about. And um, it's just my prayer that this really becomes the reality of our life. I'm, I'm convinced 
convinced that if we would become so aware of this that we would never want to leave. James 5.8, draw close to God and he will draw close to you. <laughs> so he pursues us, that's prevenient grace, but then it also says that after we come into the kingdom of God, that it's like, well, God feels far away. Well, draw close to him. He's going to draw close to you. Amen. Well, he, he, I can't hear his voice. Draw close to him. He'll draw close to you. I feel so dry and weary, which we're going to talk about here in a second. Draw close to him. It means, again, that as we draw close to him, he will draw close to us. And it means close spatially. It means, it means that he just gets like this. If, if this is me and this is him, he's going to get right here. As I draw close to him, he draws close to me. Why? Because he wants to be near us and he wants us to be near to him. All right. So look at Psalm 63. That's where we're going to spend the rest of our time here this morning. Yeah, Psalm 63, and we'll read the first 11 verses. It's actually all 11 verses, but anyway. It says, O God, Psalm 63, verse 1. O God, you are my God. I shall... Seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you. Verse 4. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me, but those who seek my life to destroy it will go into the depths of the earth. They will be delivered over to the power of the sword. They will fall prey to fo for foxes, but the king will rejoice in God. Everyone who swears to him will glory, for the mouths of those who speak lies will be stopped. I felt very impressed um, <laughs> to, to share from this this morning uh, for the simple reason that sometimes you go through hard times. Yes, you do. I do. Maybe you guys are Jesus' second cousin and you don't, but, but I do. Third cousin. Third cousin, you got some issues. Sometimes we go through hard times, and the propensity is when you go through a hard time, that we want to distance ourselves from the Lord, uh, maybe unintentionally, sometimes intentionally, and then you distance yourselves from people. Why? Because you hide yourself. It's like, I can't even deal today is what we say stuff like. I can't even deal, and so I'm just going to go, and I'm going to be by myself, and, and, and I don't want to talk to anyone, I don't want to see anyone, I don't want to do anything, and then it just perpetuates the dryness and the weariness that we experience. And, and that's why it is so, so important it's like when someone says, I just need to be alone today. No, you really don't. You need to be surrounded by the presence of God, and you need to be in the presence of other believers that love you, that care for you, that are going to kind of get you up out of the muck and the mire that you're allowing yourself to settle for. Amen. Okay? And so do not, as we get into this, do not allow the lies of the enemy to tell you that, that 
you just need to be by yourself. I think that's the worst possible thing that you could possibly do. I hear stuff like this all the time. I, not so much from this group, but I've had phone calls. I, I've had a rough week. I'm just going to stay home. Well, that's crazy. That's what the enemy wants you to do. I just need to veg out. I need to do a 10-hour binge of Netflix or whatever, you know? And some of y'all know what I'm talking about. But uh, <laughs> that's uh, and not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying the most productive thing we can do is be in the presence of the Lord. All right. So when we're going through these dry times, the most productive thing you can do is to get into the presence of God. And it feels so counterintuitive because, again, it's like, I don't feel like it. Because stuff happens, and, and you've heard me say this, that, that stuff happens, and, and the goodness of God doesn't change based on what we're going through. Like, if I have really good things going on in my life, he's good. If I have really bad things going on in my life, he's still good. It's just my circumstances are different. But he does not change. And so that's why it's so, so important when we're going down, especially in the hard times, to try to draw and press into the presence of God because we already read James 5, 8. Draw close to me and I will draw close to you. It doesn't matter what we feel like. What matters is he's good no matter what. And so you get into this. I believe that, so, I, so let me phrase it like this. I believe that sometimes we get out of proximity, if you will. And so the question would be, how do we get back into proximity with the Lord? If, I mean, obviously one of the things you may have to do is repent, percent, all that stuff. But what do you do when you just feel dry and weary and worn out? Well, I think this psalm actually gives the answer to it. We talked about this a little bit on Friday night. When you are out of proximity, I think this psalm shows that one of the most powerful things that you can do is begin to declare the goodness of the Lord over your life. And, and so it's like, I don't feel good, but I'm still going to say it. <laughs> right? That's what he says. He says, oh God, you're my God. Now, we know from the context of this, this is David. David's going through a hard time. David's going through essentially hell, and, and he doesn't know what to do, and he's in this wilderness season in his life, and I think wilderness isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's an invitation to press into the presence of God, but he's in this hard time, and he just says, even though I'm going through this hard time, I'm going to say, oh God. You are my God. There's power when you begin to declare these things over your life. That's why we started doing these readings. You may think it's silly and it's just words on a screen. No, it's not. I actually believe it begins to change the way that we think. If we change the way that we think, which, by the way, is a definition of repentance. It's I had a thought and I have a new thought. You change the way you think. Then once you change the way you think, you change the way you feel. And when you change the way you feel, you're going to change the way you act and behave. And so David, he's like, I'm going through this season, but he doesn't wonder where God is or what God's doing, <laughs> right? It's like, maybe, I won't say it. He's like, maybe, maybe the Lord's preoccupied, right? Or, or maybe he's just too busy to, to take care of me. I, I heard this, I did a revival about a month ago, and, and someone came up to me afterwards and said, I, I wanted to come up for prayer, but I know so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so has so many worse things going on in their life that I felt guilty asking God to touch this one area of my life. Get over it. That's a lie straight from the pits of hell. You need to get in the presence of God because your need isn't important as someone else's need. And it really doesn't, there is no big or little need in the kingdom of heaven because he views everything as just, boom, I can take care of it. Amen. 
He doesn't question God. That's a hard one, too. Like, I think you can't ask God questions. But he doesn't question God. He just says, you're God. Right. <laughs> I'm going to declare and decree that you're God. And, and, and I like this. It's like, I'm going through a hard time, but you're still God. I, I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, right? I'll feel you're still God. I, I, my kids went off the deep end. You're still God. I'm struggling financially. You're still God. I'm struggling with family members that are crazy, and it seems like they have more problems than a run-over dog. They're still, he's still God. You understand it. He's just declaring this. He's saying, you're my God. You're my God. You're my God. You're the God over my life, and if you're the God over my life, then therefore you're the God over the situations in my life. Right. Amen. <laughs> it's good. And he says, oh, God, you're my God. And then he switches just a little bit. After he begins to declare, he says, I shall seek you earnestly. He begins to declare that. I, I think that's a really good prayer, by the way, when you're going through a hard time and, and you're confused. It's like, you're my God. And even though I don't feel like it, I'm going to seek you earnestly. You're my God. And even though I'm tired and frustrated, I'm going to seek you earnestly. You're my God, even, even though I'm wore out, and even though I have this, 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 and this, this going on, I'm still going to seek you earnestly. There's something that begins to shift. And by the way, when he says, I seek you earnestly, it means I'm, you're my God, and I'm on the lookout for you. Amen. Which would mean that if you have something going on in your life and you say, I'm seeking you earnestly, it's like I'm on the lookout because I believe you're about to show up. And you're about to transform this situation. All right. Uh, Jesus actually uses, when Jesus was on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's actually the exact same phrase that was used here in Psalm 63. And so he's saying, you're my God. You're my God. Why have you forsaken me? But he's declaring that even though he's suffering like he was, because he was fully God, and he was fully man. He emptied himself of everything, and so he's on the cross, and he says, my God, my God. He's still declaring that the Lord is God over everything that's going on, even though he didn't quite, I think he fully understood what was going on, but I imagine that was a, we can't even wrap our minds around how, how awful that would have been. But something, again, begins to shift when we declare that we are on the lookout for God in the midst of our situations. And, and I'll be honest, that, this is the hardest thing to do. I think it's so hard because it's so counterintuitive. It's like I'm going through a hard time. So, again, we want to hide. We want to do this. We want to do that. Um, one of the things for, for what I like to do is I get in my car and I'll put on worship music. I just put on music and I begin to sing the words even if I don't feel like singing the words in that moment. One of our favorite uh, groups is Bethel and Steffi Gretzinger says this that I'm going to sing my way back to the Lord Amen. even when I don't feel like I'm going to sing my way back to him I'm going to praise him even if I don't feel like it because by the way the Bible tells us that 
he inhabits the praises of his people. So if he feels far off, the best thing we could do is just begin to declare and decree his goodness and worship and praise him. And it's like, boom, he ends up abating our situation. Doesn't mean he's going to take us out of our situation. It means he's going to promise to walk through us in our situation. Sometimes he takes us out of it. I like that. But oftentimes we actually have to just walk through it. But he's with me and he'll give me the strength. He'll give you the strength. Amen? Yes. And so... When you find yourself dry and weary, and you find yourself distant from the Lord, you declare and you decree, and then there's this other part where you, you actually begin to cry out to God. It's like, well, how do you cry out? Well, I mean, you cry out. You begin to pray, and, and not just, Jesus, take care of this for me. I mean, it's, this is God. Show up, right? I mean, this is, this is intense stuff. David, he says, you are my God, my God, I shall seek you earnestly. Verse 2, he says, my soul, my life, it actually thirsts from you. It could mean the very breath that I have, it, it, it longs, it thirsts for you. That's really interesting, by the way, because when the Lord created uh, creation, he created creation, but when the Lord created things in Genesis 1 and 2, he spoke the words and created everything. But man, he did something differently. He breathed life into man, into Adam, and that's how he came to life. And so he's saying this, the very breath in me has gone dry. The very thing that you put in me to give me sustenance, it feels dry and it feels parched. And it's actually longing for you. My flesh, it yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. It says my flesh yearns. It means it eagerly, eagerly desires. So the very thing in me desires you and a very thing my whole body just yearns for you in a dry in a, in a dry region and it actually means this that, so we could think of it like my soul longs for you because I'm in a dry and weary place well this dry and weary place would be like it's not just for a moment it's like everything around me feels dry and everything around me feels weary and and it's not just it's not just at home, it's, it's every single aspect of my life it encompasses this. And then weary means tired and reluctant to experience any more of what you're experiencing. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a place, in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And, and I think it's like this. David begins to cry out to God because he's in this situation and he's like, God, Maybe, I don't know if you've ever been like this before, but it's like, I cannot experience any more of what I am currently experiencing because I am so tired, I am so weary, I am so exhausted. Even, even my exhaustion is exhausted, right? It's, it's, even my tiredness is tired. I can't deal with this anymore. I have hit my threshold. I have hit, we say, I have hit my breaking point. We say stuff like this. And this is what David is saying. He's like, I've experienced this to such a degree that I don't even know if I can take anymore. And he's still crying out to God. See, our propensity is that when we start to experience things like this, again, it's to just quit. It's just like, I, I'm, I'm done. I don't know about you all. You can go do what you want to do, but I, I, am, I am just done. And David says, I've hit my ropes, 
But even though I've hit my ropes and I feel like I can't take any more, I'm going to declare and decree that you're God over my life. And I'm going to say, I long for you because if you don't show up and if you don't do something, I, I don't know how much more I can take. And, and I, I, I would propose this morning that, that the best thing that we could possibly do in those dry and weary times, and we go through them. And if you don't, I think you're probably telling a fib here this morning. But if I just think you're, you're lying. But, but if you do... <laughs> If you go through these things, do not allow it to eat your lunch. Amen. And even if you don't feel like it, you praise God. Because His goodness, again, is not based on what we are going through. His goodness is based on the standard that He set Himself up to. He's good, he, and he, is, he was good yesterday, He's good today, and He's going to be good tomorrow. And so we can declare and decree this even when you don't feel like it because it begins to shift things. And you're like, well, that's just kind of speaking goodness over my life or it's just it's it's name and claim it's not name it and claim it but it, it, proverbs says that as a man thinks so he is and so if i begin to speak these things out i think eventually that my heart is going to catch up with my words all right dry seasons are opportunities it's so crazy that's the like the only difference between a believer and a non-believer i mean there's some difference but the biggest difference is the viewpoint the lens through which we look at the world which means that i promise if i walk out to someone and they tell me they're agnostic or they're an whatever doesn't matter to me jesus loves them he wants to win them into the kingdom but I promise you, they're going to have the exact same messes in their life that most of us have in our life. The only difference is, is through the lens in which we view those problems. And, and, and the shift would be this. It's that my problems, yeah, they're problems, but they're not a problem. It's an opportunity for God to show up. Amen. 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 <laughs> it goes off the deep end. That's an opportunity for God to show up. Got more bills coming in than money coming in. It's an opportunity for God to show up, right? right? I, got an un, I had an unforeseen diagnosis from the doctor. It's an opportunity for the Lord to show up. I'm not saying it won't be hard. I'm saying it's, it's a shift in which you view things, okay? Huh. Dry seasons are opportunities for the Lord to do something incredible. And I love this too, by the way. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, it says... As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result. In other words, what the enemy means for harm, the Lord will turn around and use for good. Amen. Okay? Right. He really will. It's like all these things. And again, you, you, guys, you guys, you're alive. You have issues. <laughs> and I think sometimes my family subscribes to issues, right? I mean, it's... <laughs> you, you, you have stuff going on, and I don't have to name them all up. I'm just saying they're opportunities. It's an opportunity for the glory of God to invade. Now, the next thing I want to say is this, is that looking up leads to proximity. Come on. Amen. Amen. Herb Halstead. Remember Pastor Herb, huh? Yeah. Jackson, Tennessee. Herb, uh, Pastor's Thrive Community Church. Uh, years ago, we interviewed to be a uh, youth pastor, and it just wasn't what the Lord was leading. 
But Herb told me, I think, some of the greatest advice I've ever heard. Herb said, look up. Look up. <laughs> Verse 2, and this is the biblical precedent, because it sounds like, well, is that even the Bible? Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary. Verse 2, I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. David, this is wild to me. David gets a prophetic glimpse of the Lord seated in his own sanctuary in the throne room of heaven. He's walking through hell and he sees the Lord in the Lord's own sanctuary. That's wild. That's wild. Seen means that he received prophetic revelation. He looked upon, he actually gazed. David doesn't say, <laughs> David doesn't say my life is great or he doesn't say my life is perfect. He doesn't say I have more problems than I've been saying this a lot. He, he has more problems than a run over dog. He doesn't, he doesn't say that. He says, I've seen you in the sanctuary. But even when I was in this dry and weary place, I looked up and I saw you. Right? It's like when the Bible where it says, look to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of the heaven and the earth. How do you look to the mountains? You've got to look up to look to the mountains. It doesn't matter if you're far away. You've got to look up. It doesn't matter if you're really close. You've got to look up. Sometimes your problems are really far away and sometimes they're really close. It just doesn't really matter, but you still look up. All right. He says, I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've seen your power, which is your might and your strength, and I've seen your glory, which means that I have seen, because I looked into the heavens, because I looked up, I saw your richness. Hmm. I saw your richness. I saw the heaviness, which is, that's the Hebrew word for glorious kabod. It's the heaviness, the weighty presence of God. I've seen that. And it also means that I have seen your reputation. When we look up and we say, you are good, that you actually begin to see the Lord's reputation. What's his reputation? Well, he's wonderful. He's powerful. He's glorious. He's kind. He's good. He's full of grace and he's full of mercy. It's, it's like your reputation precedes you, right? It's like, I'm not right there yet, but I, your reputation precedes you and you are good. And so I'm going to look up because as I look up, it changes what I focus on. See, too often times we do this, we look. And again, I'm not saying pretend that things don't happen because oftentimes it's like, it's like going to the mailbox. If you don't check your mail for a week, guess what? The bills are going to be in there anyway, right? They're going to be. Or, or if you don't read your email, some of you probably just get email bills, and that's fine. But if you pretend that something's not there, it's still there. But this is saying that rather than focusing right here, that this is saying, I'm going to look up and focus on you because as I focus on you, you're going to begin to take care of these other things because it puts these other things in proper alignment in my life. And so looking up, it gives David hope. And, and, and it's like this. If you look up and you're like, God, I haven't felt like it. I really don't want to. But I'm going to spend, even if it's two or three minutes, I'm telling you folks, it's worth it. You don't have to say, and I can't spend five hours looking up. Spend two minutes looking up at him, saying you were good. You breathed everything into existence, right? You paid a price for me. You, hold, you named all the stars. You put them in the sky one by one. You did all of these things, 
right? When you begin to look up, it begins to change the way we think because if he can take care of those things, he can most certainly take care of these things. Verse 3, because your loving kindness, your loyalty, your, because of your loyalty. By the way, the Lord's loyal to us. That's wild. It means he's not going to change the way he thinks. He's not going to be like those knuckleheads. I'm, done. I'm just done with them. He's not, he's not going to do that. He's not like, I'm just, I'm done. I doesn't do that. He says, because of your loving kindness, it's actually better than life itself. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. And Logan had us lift her hands. I will lift my hands up in your name. So here's David again going through a hard time. And he's really talking himself into the goodness of the Lord. Sometimes if you're honest, you've got to talk yourself into the goodness of the Lord. Because he is good. And it's hard. <laughs> There's some times where it's like, it's like, I, I don't want to lift my hands today. <laughs> it sounds crazy. Maybe it's just me, but it's like life wears you down. Things become burdensome. What's crazy, by the way, is, is if you're carrying something, if you are carrying a burden, which so many of us do, right? If this is a burden, it's tissues, but dirty tissues are a burden. But if you're holding a burden, you can't really lift your hands up, can you? But if I say, I'm done carrying my burden, and I'm going to lift my hand to you, it's a release of the burden knowing that he's going to take care of this. And as he takes care of this, I can continue to lift my hands. The problem is, is that we carry a burden. And then we're like, well, I've got this burden. I've got this burden. And the next thing you know, you pick up another burden. And then you pick up another burden, right? And then the next thing you know, it's really hard to lift your hands up because you're so weighed down by the things going on in life. And the Lord say it, David's saying that even though I'm walking through this stuff, I'm going to release this stuff so that I can worship and praise you. Because it's like the less I feel like it, the more I actually worship and praise him, the lighter those burdens become. And that's what it's all about, folks. I'm telling you. <laughs> and that proximity, it leads to release. It leads to release in the midst of trial and pain. We need to speak the praises of the Lord. Again, this is repetitive, even if you don't feel like it. Because in the releasing of our praises, the burdens lift. And look at verse 5. This last verse I think we'll look at this morning. I think. Maybe. Verse 5 says, my soul is satisfied. I like that verse, that word. Let me get it right here real quick. It says, My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my youth offers praise, or my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. It says, My soul is satisfied. My soul is in a state of physical contentment due to having my needs met in the abundance or the excess, excess of the Lord. 
It also means that my soul has found rest. My attitude has switched from one of anger to one of contentment is what that could mean. That's crazy. Sometimes we get angry and we just need to get content. And it implies confidence in, in one's present circumstances and also the future events. So David's like, look, I'm just going to worship you. I'm going to declare your goodness. And as I do that, my soul finds the very thing that I absolutely have to have. And essentially, if we could phrase it up in one word, it's peace. Amen. It's, the, it's the exhale. It's, the, it's living in that space right there. And as God satisfies our soul, he actually satisfies us with the very best that he has. It says, my soul was satisfied with the marrow, which would have been the finest portion of meat then. It would have been the finest portion that they had to offer. He satisfies them with the marrow and with the fatness, which is the choice portion. The finest portion and then the choice portion. The Lord says, I'm going to satisfy you with that. We also know that fatness means anointing, and we learned a few weeks ago that it's the anointing that breaks strong holds. And so the Lord actually, as we begin to praise the Lord, he begins to release the very thing that we need to break off the thing that we're struggling and wrestling with. Oh, that's good. That's really good. Let's do verse, yeah, let's, we got just a few minutes. It says, when I remember you, verse 6, when I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. I think this is really significant as well. How many of you all have trouble sleeping occasionally? John's like, not me, dude. <laughs> I'm out. You know what it is? I mean, the most simplistic thing, it's this. It's you lay down. And your mind begins to... Some of our minds work, I think, harder when we lay down on, bed, on the bed than they do when we're, right, throughout the day. You think of all the conversations you had during that day. You replay them over and over and over. You replay the, I wish I'd have said this. I wish I'd have said that. I wish I'd have done this. I wish I'd have done that. You, you, you do that. And then, if you're like me, you're laying there and you're thinking, well... Tomorrow, I've got to do this, this, and this. And then I also need to have answers to the conversations that I had the day before. And so then I begin to think of all the answers I need to have to all the people that I had conversations with before. And by the way, I don't really know how they're going to respond. So they may say this, this, or this. So then I have like three or four responses planned out as I'm laying there in bed, right? And next thing you know, boom, your alarm goes off. You don't feel any rest whatsoever. And then you repeat the exact same thing the next day. David says that when I remember you on my bed, David's saying this, that he lays down at night when your mind begins to wander. And he says, you're good. Your loving kindness will never end. You're full of might and majesty and power. And that's what I'm going to think on tonight. Let me release you of some guilt right here. How many of y'all ever fallen asleep praying? It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> it really is. It's your last thoughts. 
maybe, maybe you fell asleep praying because the peace of God came to such a degree that it put you to sleep. It's perspective. It's perspective. Maybe the peace of God came to such a degree that you fell asleep. So as you lay down at night, maybe this is just me, maybe this is my own weirdness. Um, the last few months I've been trying to practice this. I lay down and I say, God, I just want to think about you till I go to bed. I'm done. I'm done talking to my wife, right? I've just, we're done. She's asleep, whatever. I'm, Lord, I just want to think about you. And I would even ask that tonight in my thoughts and my dreams, that I don't have thoughts and dreams about the situations that I'm in. I actually would pray that you would speak to me in thoughts and dreams about your goodness and your kindness over me and over my family and over the situations I'm in. And it really will help. For you've been my help, and in, a in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. Amen. 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 Someone's tired. So if we could sum all this up, it'd be this. Praise him and worship him even. Any and all circumstances, no matter how you feel. And when you don't feel like it, that's probably when you need to do it the most. That's probably when you need to do it the most. And as you begin to declare and decree, oh, bless your heart, sweetheart. As you begin to declare and decree, it changes the way you think and the way you feel. It will. I promise. And I promise this, and this, is, this isn't preacher language, this is truth. That every single thing that we go through in our lives, it really pales in comparison when we look at the Lord next to that thing. It really does. It really does. We turn things into mountains when they're molehills, right? Or it's like in the Garden of Eden, the enemy was a snake in the Garden of Eden. And in the book of Revelation, he was a big dragon serpent. Well, how'd he get so big? I think because we feed him. So let's just pray. Amen. Jesus, we worship you and praise you this morning. I thank you for this company of believers, God. And Lord, I, I just want to release a grace this morning.